Section six of Gallagher and Other Stories by Richard Harding Davis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Jones, Benita Springs, Florida. My disreputable friend, Mr. Reagan. Part two. The sun rose hissing out of the East River a broad red disk of heat it swept the cross streets of the city as piteously as the searchlight of a man-of-war sweeps the ocean it blazed brazenly into open windows and changed beds into gridirons on which the sleepers tossed and turned and woke unrefreshed and with throats dry and parched its glare awakened rags into a startled belief that the place about him was on fire and he stared wildly until the child in his arms brought him back to the knowledge of where he was he ached in every joint and limb and his eyes smarted with the dry heat but the baby concerned him most for she was breathing with hard long irregular gasps her mouth was open and her absurdly small fists were clenched and around her closed eyes were deep blue rings Rags felt a cold rush of fear and uncertainty come over him as he stared about him helplessly for aid. He had seen babies look like this before in the tenements. They were like this when the young doctors of the health board climbed to the roofs to see them, and they were like this, only quiet and still, when the ambulance came clattering up the narrow streets and bore them away. Rags carried the baby into the outer room, where the sun had not yet penetrated, and laid her down gently on the coverlets. Then he let the water in the sink run until it was fairly cool, and with this bathed the baby's face and hands and feet, and lifted a cup of water to her open lips. She woke at this and smiled again, but very faintly, and when she looked at him he felt fearfully sure that she did not know him, and that she was looking through and past him at something he could not see. He did not know what to do, and he wanted to do so much. Milk was the only thing he was quite sure babies cared for, but in the want of this he made a mess of bits of the dry ham and crumbs of bread moistened with the raw whiskey, and put it to her lips on the end of a spoon. The baby tasted this and pushed his hand away, and then looked up and gave a feeble cry, and seemed to say as plainly as a grown woman could have said or written, It isn't any use, Rags. You are very good to me, but indeed I cannot do it. Don't worry, please. I don't blame you. Great Lord! gasped Rags with a queer choking in his throat. But ain't she got grit? Then he bethought him of the people who he still believed inhabited the rest of the tenement, and he concluded that as the day was yet so early they might still be asleep, and that while they slept he could lift, as he mentally described the act, whatever they might have laid by for breakfast. Excited with this hope, he ran noiselessly down the stairs in his bare feet, and tried the doors of the different landings but each he found open and each room bare and deserted then it occurred to him that at this hour he might even risk a sally into the street he had money with him 
and the milk-carts and bakers' wagons must be passing every minute. He ran back to get the money out of his coat, delighted with the chance, and chiding himself for not having dared to do it sooner. He stood over the baby a moment before he left the room, and flushed like a girl as he stooped and kissed one of the bare arms. "'I'm going out to get you some breakfast,' he said. "'I won't be gone long, but if I should—' he added, as he paused and shrugged his shoulders, I'll send the sergeant after you from the station-house. If I only wasn't under bonds, he muttered, as he slipped down the stairs, if it wasn't for that, they wouldn't give me more than a month at most, even knowing all they do of me. It was only a street fight, anyway, and there was some there that must have seen him pull his pistol. He stopped at the top of the first flight of stairs and sat down to wait. He could see below the top of the open front door the pavement and a part of the street beyond, and when he heard the rattle of an approaching cart, he ran on down, and then with an oath turned and broke upstairs again. He had seen the war detectives standing together on the opposite side of the street. "'What are they doing out of bed at this hour?' he demanded angrily. "'Don't they make trouble enough through the day without prowling around before decent people are up?' I wonder now if they're after me. He dropped on his knees when he reached the room where the baby lay, and peered cautiously out of the window at the detectives, who had been joined by two other men, with whom they were talking earnestly. Reagan knew the newcomers for two of McGonagall's friends, and concluded, with a momentary flush of pride and self-importance, that the detectives were forced to be up at this early hour solely on his account. But this was followed by the afterthought that he must have hurt McGonagall seriously, and that he was wanted in consequence very much. This disturbed him most, he was surprised to find, because it precluded his going forth in search of food. "'I guess I can't get you that milk I was looking for,' he said jocularly to the baby, for the excitement elated him. "'The sun outside isn't good for me health.' The baby settled herself in his arms and slept again which sobered rags, for he argued it was a bad sign, and his own ravenous appetite warmed him how the child suffered. When he again offered her the mixture he had prepared for her, she took it eagerly, and rags breathed a sigh of satisfaction. Then he ate some of the bread and ham himself, and swallowed half the whiskey, and stretched out beside the child and fanned her while she slept. It was something strangely incomprehensible to Rags that he should feel so keen a satisfaction in doing even this little for her, but he gave up wondering and forgot everything else in watching the strange beauty of the sleeping baby and in the odd feeling of responsibility and self-respect she had brought to him. He did not feel it coming on, or else he would have fought against it, but the heat of the day and the sleeplessness of the night before, and the fumes of the whiskey on his empty stomach, drew him unconsciously into a dull stupor, so that the paper fan slipped from his hand, and he sank back against the bedding into a heavy sleep. When he awoke, it was nearly dusk, and past six o'clock, as he knew by the newsboys calling the sporting extras on the street below. He sprang up, cursing himself, and filled with bitter remorse. I'm a drunken fool, that's what I am, 
said Rag savagely. I've let her lie here all day in the heat with no one to watch her. Margaret was breathing so softly that he could hardly discern any life at all, and his heart almost stopped with fear. He picked her up and fanned and patted her into wakefulness again, and then turned desperately to the window and looked down. There was no one he knew, or who knew him, as far as he could tell on the street, and he determined recklessly to risk another sortie for food. "'Why, it's been near two days that child's gone without eating,' he said with keen self-reproach, "'and here you've let her to suffer to save yourself a trip to the island. "'You're a hulking big loafer, you are,' he ran on muttering, "'and after her coming to you and taking notice of you "'and putting her face to yours like an angel.' "'He slipped off his shoes and picked his way cautiously down the stairs.' As he reached the top of the first flight, a newsboy passed, calling the evening papers, and shouted something which Rags could not distinguish. He wished he could get a copy of the paper. It might tell him he thought something about himself. The boy was coming nearer, and Rags stopped and leaned forward to listen. "'Extra! Extra!' shouted the newsboy, running. "'Sun, world, and mail!' full account of the murder of pike mcgonagall by ragsy reagan the lights in the street seemed to flash up suddenly and grow dim again leaving rags blind and dizzy stop he yelled stop murder no by god no he cried staggering halfway down the stairs stop stop but no one heard rags and the sound of his own voice halted him he sank back weak and sick upon the top step of the stairs and beat his hands together upon his head it's a lie it's a lie he whispered thickly i struck him in self-defence so help me i struck him in self-defence he drove me to it he pulled his gun on me i done it in self-defence and then the whole appearance of the young tough changed and the terror and horror that had showed on his face turned to one of low sharpness and evil cunning. His lips drew together tightly, and he breathed quickly through his nostrils, while his fingers locked and unlocked around his knees. All that he had learned on the streets and wharves and rooftops, all that pitiable experience and dangerous knowledge that had made him a leader and a hero among the thieves and bullies of the riverfront, he called to his assistance now. He faced the fact flatly and with the cool consideration of an uninterested counsellor. He knew that the history of his life was written on police court blotters from the day that he was ten years old, and with pitiless detail. That what friends he had he held more by fear than by affection, and that his enemies, who were many, only waited just such a chance as this to revenge injuries long suffered and bitterly cherished, and that his only safety lay in secret and instant flight. The ferries were watched, of course. He knew that the depots, too, were covered by the men whose only duty was to watch the coming and to halt the departing criminal. But he knew of one old man who was too wise to ask questions and who would row him over the East River to Astoria, 
and of another on the west side whose boat was always at the disposal of silent white-faced young men who might come at any hour of the night or morning and whom he would pilot across to the jersey shore and keep well away from the lights of the passing ferries and the green lamp of the police boat and once across he had only to change his name and write for money to be forwarded to that name and turn to work until the thing was covered up and forgotten he rose to his feet in his full strength again and intensely and agreeably excited with the danger and possibly fatal termination of his adventure and then there fell upon him with the suddenness of a blow the remembrance of the little child lying on the dirty bedding in the room above i can't do it he muttered fiercely i can't do it he cried as if he argued with some other presence there's a rope around me neck and the chances are all against me it's every man for himself and no favor he threw his arms out before him as if to push the thought away from him and ran his fingers through his hair and over his face all of his old self rose in him and mocked him for a weak fool and showed him just how great his personal danger was and so he turned and dashed forward on a run not only to the street but as if to escape from the other self that held him back he was still without his shoes and in his bare feet he stopped as he noticed this and turned to go up the stairs for them and then he pictured to himself the baby lying as he had left her weakly unconscious and with dark rims around her eyes and he asked himself excitedly what he would do if on his return she should wake and smile and reach out her hands to him i don't dare go back he said breathlessly i don't dare do it killing's too good for the likes of pike mcgonagall but i'm not fighting babies and maybe if i went back maybe i wouldn't have the nerve to leave her i can't do it he muttered i don't dare go back but still he did not stir but stood motionless with one hand trembling on the stair-rail and the other clenched beside him and so fought it on alone in the silence of the empty building the lights in the stores below came out one by one and the minutes passed into half-hours and still he stood there with the noise of the streets coming up to him below speaking of escape and of a long life of ill-regulated pleasures and up above him the baby lay in the darkness and reached out her hands to him in her sleep the surly old sergeant of the twenty-first precinct station house had read the evening papers through for the third time and was dozing in the fierce lights of the gas jet over the high desk when a young man with a white haggard face came in from the street with a baby in his arms i want to see the woman that look after the station house quick he said the surly old sergeant did not like the peremptory tone of the young man nor his general appearance for he had no hat nor coat and his feet were bare so he said with deliberate dignity that the charwoman was upstairs lying down and what did the young man want with her this child said the visitor in a queer thick voice she's sick 
the heat's come over her and she ain't had anything to eat for two days and she's starving ring the bell for the matron will yer and send one of your men around for the house surgeon the sergeant leaned forward comfortably on his elbows with his hand under his chin so that the gold lace on his cuffs shone effectively in the gaslight he believed he had a sense of humor and he chose this unfortunate moment to exhibit it did you take this for a dispensary young man he asked or he continued with added facetiousness a foundling hospital the young man made a savage spring at the barrier in front of the high desk damn you he panted ring that bell do you hear me or i'll pull you off that seat and twist your heart out the baby cried at this sudden outburst and rags fell back patting it with his hand and muttering between his closed teeth the sergeant called to the men of the reserve squad in the reading room beyond and to hear this desperate visitor sounded the gong for the janitress the reserve squad trooped in leisurely with the playing cards in their hands and with their pipes in their mouths this man growled the sergeant pointing with the end of his cigar to rags is either drunk or crazy or a bit of both the charwoman came downstairs majestically in a long loose wrapper fanning herself with a palm-leaf fan but when she saw the child her majesty dropped from her like a cloak and she ran toward her and caught the baby up in her arms you poor little thing she murmured and oh how beautiful then she whirled about on the men of the reserve squad you connors she said run up to my room and get the milk out of my ice chest and more put on your coat and go around and tell the surgeon i want to see him and one of you crack some ice fine in a towel take it out of the cooler quick now reagan came up to her fearfully is she very sick he begged she ain't going to die is she of course not said the woman promptly but she's down with the heat and she hasn't been properly cared for the child looks half starved are you her father she asked sharply but rags did not speak for at the moment she had answered his question and had said the baby would not die he had reached out swiftly and taken the child out of her arms and held it hard against his breast as though he had lost her and someone had been just giving her back to him his head was bending over hers and so he did not see wade and hefner the two war detectives as they came in from the street looking hot and tired and anxious they gave a careless glance at the group and then stopped with a start and one of them gave a long low whistle well exclaimed wade with a gasp of surprise and relief so reagan you're here after all are you well you did give us a chase you did who took you the men of the reserve squad when they heard the name of the man for whom the full force had been looking for the past two days shifted their position slightly and looked curiously at rags and the woman stopped pouring out the milk from the bottle in her hand and stared at him in frank astonishment reagan threw back his head and shoulders and ran his eyes coldly over the faces of the semicircle of men around him who took me he began defiantly with a swagger of braggadocio and then as though it were hardly worth a while and as though the presence of the baby lifted him above everything else 
he stopped and raised her until her cheek touched his own it rested there a moment while rags stood silent who took me he repeated quietly and without lifting his eyes from the baby face nobody took me he said i gave myself up one morning three months later when reagan had stopped his ice-cart in front of my door i asked him whether at any time he had ever regretted what he had done well sir he said with easy superiority seeing that i've shook the gang and that the society's decided her folks ain't fit to take care of her we can't help thinking we are better off see but as for my regretting it why even when things was at the worst when the case was going dead against me and before that cop you remember swore to mcgonagall's drawing a pistol and when i used to sit in the tombs expecting i'd have to hang for it well even then they used to bring her to see me every day and when they lift her up and she'd reach out her hands and kiss me through the bars why they could have took me and hung me and be damned to em for all i'd have cared End of section 6